Hello and welcome back to the Silver Screen Roll Podcast Network. This is I Love Basketball. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, joined by Anthony Irwin. The Lakers are 0-1 for the fourth time in the LeBron James era. Kyle Kuzma won his first uh, season opener of his career, so good for Kuz. But the Lakers have a chance to get their first one of the season tomorrow against the Phoenix Suns. And Anthony, just first things first, do you think it's going to happen? No. No, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, what's funny is that, like, I was thinking that the other day, it would be perfectly Lakers to drop what felt like a winnable game against Phoenix or against Golden State and then miraculously win against Phoenix um, and have everybody saying, like, y'all forgot just constantly and (laughs) my mentions will be a tire fire um, as if I'm rooting against the Lakers in any way. But no, I, I... I don't think they're going to win. I think it might be a blowout, uh, but but like a lot of that has to do with continuity with Phoenix mm-hmm. and the fact that the Lakers, every practice, lose Kendrick Nunn like once once a week. He gets hurt <laughs> in practice. All right, so uh, before we get back to Phoenix, uh, and I have some thoughts on the Suns, the Lakers announced at practice today that Kendrick Nunn, who had been suffering a right ankle injury, now is dealing with a bone bruise in his right knee, which will be reevaluated in two to three weeks. So there is a distant timeline ahead for Kendrick Nunn before he is able to make his regular season Laker debut. That is obviously compounded with the fact that Taylor Horton Tucker is still recovering from a thumb surgery. Uh, the Lakers are still without Wayne Ellington, who is dealing with a hamstring issue. He will not be available against the Suns and Trevor Reza still recovering from his surgery. So that's four players who I think the vast majority of Lakers fans and observers expected to be a part of the rotation, mm-hmm. not just on the bench, but like actually playing real minutes who are unavailable for the Lakers to start the season. Not, not a great place to be in, um, particularly dispiriting for, you know, non THT because they are younger and theoretically less susceptible to these types of injuries, but Hey, it is what it is. Um, the Lakers without them have a even more imbalanced roster than they did heading into the season. And that, you know, came, came to bear in the season opener against the Golden State Warriors, but Hey, we can't, can't control injuries. So that's, that's just the case. Um, best of luck to Kenny Nunn as he recovers. You know? Kenny Nunn is a new one. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to hear Kenny Nunn. Uh, I, you can't, you can't, prepare for injuries you're right mm-hmm. or no you can't predict injuries you can't you know there, there's very little you can do to control them what you can do is prepare for them right build a and roster then, that is well equipped to handle them yes yeah you can you can build a roster that that is is ready for the occasional loss especially given the fact that the average age of the team is um 56 old i think yes. no it's not even a number it's just old old and <laughs> and and so like i and and the you know, and, and people are fast to point this out that like the guys who are getting hurt, THT now none, um, are are younger, but like Ariza's old, mm-hmm. probably could have seen that coming. And then uh, Wayne Ellington isn't young. Not you know? a spring chicken that Wayne Ellington. Wayne Ellington doesn't even sound like a young person's name. Like it's <laughs> it, it sounds like a a you know an old British author. And so, like, I just look at, I look at the way that the team was kind of put together and I just think, what, what was the intent? Like, what was, there was the article written by um, the kind folks at The Athletic where they painted this picture of, like, LeBron in his wine cellar, just, just 
going over and over and over film and information to get all these guys ready and get get this roster sorted out. If I were LeBron, I would counter leak to say like, actually, Polinka did a lot of this. <laughs> you know, Polinka was was very active in these conversations. Just want to let everybody know, and and because I just look, I I it's easy to point these things out now that they lost that first game and then that, that like half their rotation is now um, injured. But, but if you look at it, Malik Monk, Taylor Horton, Tucker, Kendrick, Nunn, they're the triple Spider-Man me, you know, it's, you could, you could get away with one of those guys. You know, we were talking before the show and I think of positional players in the NBA combo guards are probably the least efficient or the least necessary you can get away with a team having a team without combo guards and be perfectly fine. And the Lakers was like, "Nope, we want triples. <laughs> we want we want that as as many of those as, as we can." And and just kind of ignored the wing position. They don't really have a small ball five, so that you know if you want to put AD at the four without him getting beat up a ton, you could have played like. Markeith Morris or something like that and, and and been able to get away with it and kind of cheat your way around the titles of center and all that stuff. And, and I just think with, with the way that this team is put together, it makes it very difficult to get through stretches like this, where so many guys are, are dinged up. There is no reason Trevor Ariza getting hurt would throw your rotation so far out of whack that Russ and Rondo have to play together. Like that's just, those are, that's those are two things that should not have anything to do with each other, but you're kind of forced to. And, and, you know, the Lakers are kind of uh, having to deal with that on the fly now. And nice thing is they're going to go through a, a softer stretch of the season of the schedule. Once they get past this uh, Phoenix game that they can start to figure out more of these things out. But, but I just think with, with the way that the team was kind of put together they let the, they left themselves very open to injuries wreaking havoc on their season. I just want to briefly call back to the fact that Anthony Irwin, who doesn't read compared Wayne Allen to, to a British author, which is just a reference that had me rolling for like three minutes as you started talking. But yeah, I, I think it's very fair to have concerns about the way the Lakers assemble their roster. If only because they have been thrown into such incredible disarray one game into the season, like, and there's no reason why that should be happening one game into the season, right? It's not like mm -hmm. LeBron's hurt. It's not like Anthony Davis is hurt. It's not like Russell Westbrook is hurt. Um, if you're building a team around three stars and all of them are available, these things shouldn't be happening, right? I understand yeah. that like a top heavy team is in danger if one of the big three gets hurt. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. That is not the yeah. case at the moment. So the Lakers should be able to withstand the absences of their role players. And that to me is just really a terrible concern because like we spent all of last season saying, well, it really doesn't matter what happens to the Lakers if LeBron and Anthony Davis aren't healthy. Like everything else is just marginal. And we're already at a point in the season where, Hey, the marginal stuff is starting to look really, really important because the Lakers began a game where LeBron and Anthony Davis were excellent, truly, truly excellent. Both of them on both ends mm -hmm. of the floor, I thought really wonderful LeBron James and Anthony Davis game. And already in a situation where, Hey, like the Lakers really miss Trevor Reza, the Lakers really miss Wayne Ellington, the Lakers really miss THT. And really shouldn't be happening when you have, you know, that much star power to paper over those weaknesses. So I'm with you. I think uh, there are some interesting things to say about the Lakers roster construction. I, I saw a funny tweet about the Cavaliers the other day that like 
they were attempting to start like the first starting lineup with no players between the heights of six, two and six, 10. Um, and <laughs> yeah. it just sort of got me thinking about the Lakers, how the roster is very much small guards and bigs. And then you kind of have LeBron in the middle, but everybody else is basically on those mm-hmm. extremes. And it was just, why would you ever want to be favorably compared to the Cleveland Cavaliers? And what <laughs> universe does that do you with service? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's a wing league, right? Mm-hmm. You think of, and it's been one for a long time. I, exactly. I bet if you were to go back through the uh, title teams of the last, since basically the last 10 years, even mm-hmm. right. Keep it a nice round number. I would imagine that all of those, those playoff teams or the vast majority of those uh, championship teams, they got the best wing play in the championship series, you know? And, and remember there for a while, it was like either Shaq, Duncan, or Kobe were a part of like all of the championships back in the, Mm -hmm. in the early to later ish uh, 2000s. And, and it's like, yeah, that makes sense because those guys played not just the great basketball, but the positions that they played were important for that, for that time and the way that the league uh, was 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 built and and I think now where you're living in this world of switchability and efficiency and and uh, and then you know having larger human beings capable of creating in ways that they couldn't necessarily before like of course this is a wing league you need to load up on wings and all off season I'm thinking like okay cool when are you gonna start getting wings all right and and like I'm sorry Carmelo Anthony is no longer a wing. He's a power He's a forward big. now. Yeah. yeah. And and like Trevor Ariza last year played 96% of his minutes at power forward. So yes, he's technically a wing, but only if you only watched him as a Laker 13 years ago, which I'm not convinced Rob Polinka doesn't watch or, or watches non-Laker games, you know? And and so like, I'm, I'm, it's just kind of frustrating to see a team have an identity that won themselves a, a championship and then go so far, like run in the opposite direction. Where it was like, all right, we're gonna have, uh, we we're, we we need to be switchable on defense. We're gonna get out and run because that defense really wreaks havoc for other teams. And and we're going to offensively just rely on LeBron being LeBron. And eventually, like you're going to down the stretch of that game. LeBron was being LeBron with the basketball. He was just trying to do so with Russell Westbrook standing over there with everybody laughing at the idea of Russell Westbrook standing over there on the Golden State Warriors. And, and I'm just, it's, it's, I'm trying, it, this isn't like reactive to the first game. Mm-hmm. These are things that like we pointed out at the time. And, and, and these are things that everybody in the league understands, or, or at least the smart front offices in, in the league understands, Hey, you have to, be switchable you have to have more than one wing who can defend other wings and and you need to be able to to at least kind of slow down a kevin durant or a Kawhi leonard or a paul george or you know Giannis, whoever and the lakers were just like no i think we're all right i think we're good we I, I I find myself rolling my eyes at, uh you know, R- Reggie Miller was on the call for the first game. And he's like, man, it must be nice to have, uh you know, future Hall of Famers to just bring up off the bench. I was like, yeah, man, I'm sure the Lakers super miss Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, and not being able to bring <laughs> him off the bench. Like this is, <laughs> you need currently good NBA players to, to have a good NBA team. And, and unfortunately with the way that the, this team is built, 
when you're heading into the season and you're and one of your wing defenders is Talon Horton Tucker, like that's just poor roster construction. You can't you can't exist in 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 the NBA in 2021 with that being an approach. Right. And you know, just to go back to what happened during free agency, I think individually the value that the Lakers got in all of their free agent contracts beyond reproach. I think, you know, they did a good job signing all those players, like the guys who deserve minimums got minimums. I might push back on none. I don't think I don't think none is great value. Given given the opportunity cost, I don't think none at five mil when you don't have any other non-veteran minimum contracts to give out is was a was a very good step. Okay. Um I would say other than that then, you yeah. know, there were no complaints about the value that they got in free agency. Uh mm-hmm. I mean yeah the I don't need to rehash the none thing. We've definitely talked about it on this show before and people have come yeah. after me on Twitter about this. Anyway, um it's just that individually is not like you don't build a team on paper, right? The things have to work together. And yeah, it's great that like Monk signed for this amount and Ellington signed for this amount and Dwight signed for this amount and Mello signed for this amount, but they have to play together at some point and they don't really work together, right? Like we saw so many lineups that the Lakers put out that just colossally made no sense. Mm -hmm. And it's, doesn't seem like an accident that the only times they actually looked closest to the ideal that they're trying to achieve, you know, that 2019, 20 ideal was like when Rondo and Avery Bradley and LeBron James and Anthony Davis were playing players who were all on that team. And much has been made of how the Lakers were trying to recreate the model of that championship team. And I think, you know, something that's gone forgotten is there were not a lot of ball handlers on that team. That was consistently a weakness that was, you know, given of that 2019, 20 team was like, who is the third creator? Who is the third scorer? Like how many times did we have this question of who is the third best player on that Lakers team? And I don't think it was ever like sufficiently answered as to who that was by the end of the year. But what that Laker team did have was they were big, right? They started Danny Green and Cantavius Caldwell Pope at the one and the two. That's mm-hmm. a six, four, six, five KCP, six, five, six, six, Danny Green at the one and the two. Mm-hmm. There are no guards of that size on the current Los Angeles mm-hmm. Lakers, right? Not a single one. Um, not even unhealthy ones. <laughs> they had just, you know, not like wing defenders per se. Like that was obviously a weakness that was reported throughout the season too. You know, like who is going to guard the Kawhi Leonard, whatever they had coups, you know, for guys in a pinch, they had Marquise Morris, like you said, who could, you could throw on a big wing and just say, Hey, this guy's big and he'll get in your way at the just, very least. Just stand in front of them. Just provide some size. Stand in front of them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just think a lot of what that Laker team had is being missed in the recreation, right? Like there were no ball handlers on that team, right? Like how many times did you and I just like cover our eyes at Alex Caruso trying to run a pick and roll or, um, you know, Rondo doing things like anytime he had the ball without LeBron James. KCP was asked to, KCP was asked to do some grading. I mean, Danny green dribbling, like all of those things were just bad ideas, but what they did do was they could shoot and they could play defense and they just Mm -hmm. faded into the background so that LeBron James had space to work. When you have Russell Westbrook, who's just fading into the background and giving LeBron James space to work, like it just, to me, begs the question of why did we get this guy? Like if LeBron Mm -hmm. is not even going to defer to Russ, who is arguably one of the best point guards of this generation, who the hell is he supposed to defer to? Right. (laughs) Well, also you got Russell Westbrook so that the, the non LeBron minutes can be less awful. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, 
in those non-LeBron minutes, it was Rajon Rondo and Russell Westbrook, which were awful. Awful. Like they, they were awful. not fun at all. And and you know, it was like sure it worked in the one preseason game, but yes. like I find myself wondering, what the hell were they doing in preseason <laughs> practices? Like where, like what was the what was what was the intent? You know, what, what were you working on? Which which combinations were you focused on? Because even if like we just talked about this is a poorly constructed roster. Like there are ways to make it work. Mm-hmm. One of which is not Russell Westbrook and Rajon Rondo, you know, one of which is not Russell Westbrook on the court with AD and Dwight out there. Like it's just, uh, it, it, it just, what I, what I was kind of frustrated by not just watching it live, but then watch rewatching the game was like, there was just a fundamental misunderstanding of who these guys are. Like, I, I think Frank Vogel is a very good coach. I think he's a very good uh, head coach. Like, he's, he's at least a top 10, you know, head coach in the NBA. And, and especially on the defensive side. But that was, like, that was a Luke Walton game. Like, that was, <laughs> that was the kind of game that I was sitting there saying, like, what the hell is going on here? You know? And, and I just, it, it's, again, one game. And, and some of this, like this very rant is just reactive to that first game. Cause I'm sitting mm-hmm. here saying like, where did, like, did, did this, did in is, is space jam three, a coach sapping Frank Vogel's <laughs> IQ out of his head, you know, like what is, what happened in that first game? And, and I just want to, you know, hammer home the idea of, well, some of those decisions were forced by the fact that they were thin and and those are those are like the, the kind of lineups that we saw out there are the kinds of things that you would explain away. Well, this is kind of what you have to do when you don't have Anthony Davis. And this is kind of what you have to do to try to make it work when LeBron is out. But those guys were not just there, but playing amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. like you don't you don't there's never a time where you, sh- you should be watching an NBA game and saying like, well, this is what you have to do when you're missing Kendrick Nunn, like, like, <laughs> like, they made it, like yeah. the whole game and the premise of, of some of the decisions that they were making made no sense. Yeah, I, I woke up to being one of those people who thought that Rondo and Russ looked fine together, uh, even intriguing, I believe is the word I used after a preseason game against these very Golden State Warriors who uh, admittedly were missing Stephen Curry and Draymond Green during the preseason. Yeah. Uh, it looked like fun. I mean, the transition offense was really, really good with the two of them as outlet passers. Uh, I, I would hope that their the Lakers coaching staff thought process is a little bit uh, more extensive than, hey, wasn't that a great outlet pass that Rondo threw to Russ, who threw to LeBron in a preseason yeah. game against the Stephless Warriors? Um, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe that's just what we have. But, I mean, at the risk of relitigating the whole offseason again, which, unfortunately, there's just nothing to be done about, the Lakers, I think, could do much better with the personnel that they have at hand. Yeah. Um, the way that they played that game against the Warriors wasn't just a result of, hey, we don't have none. We don't have Arisa. It was, oh God, we're doing the worst possible things with the players that are available. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's worth, you know, looking into how the Lakers could just optimize their existing rotations better because I'm sure that's something Frank Vogel's thinking about. I'm sure that's something that LeBron James and his wine cellar is thinking about. Um, so why don't we give that a shot, Anthony? <laughs> the way that I kind of think of this roster as it's constructed, especially presently with the injuries that they have, it's I think of everything from like a 
foundational combination standpoint where, all right, and, and Darius has been talking about this a lot too on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, where it's just like, you have to identify strengths of core pieces of a lineup and then build around those strengths and try to help mitigate against those weaknesses. So for example, in any Russell Westbrook lineup, any one of them whatsoever, no matter who he is out there with, you probably are going to want somebody to be able to set screens for, to get him moving um, on the ball. And you're going to need extra shooting because he is the one of the worst shooters in the history of the sport. Right. Right. And the worst volume shooter in the league over the last decade ever, I think. Like yes. not, not even just a decade. Like I, I've only looked up the last Charles, decade, but yeah, you have to go, you have to go back to like Charles Barkley for like a worse mm-hmm. volume three point shooter than, than Russell Westbrook. And, and, and by the way, like, I think you can still be somewhat successful, even if you're that bad of a shooter, so long as like you make up for the lack of that shooting somewhere else on your, on your lineup. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's not just like people who can knock down shots, but people who the defense has to pay attention to because we've seen this now with Rajon Rondo, right? Where he'll have a near 40% three point shooting. uh, And no one is going to guard him on the, and it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't like the needle is just stuck over there as if the meter is broken. And, and I'm, and you know, that's not the case with somebody like uh, Kent Bazemore, right? Where if he is standing there in the corner, his defender can't just run away from him and ignore him. Right. And, and, uh, that is, is, you know, when Malik Monk is out there on the court, uh, the, the, the defense has to be cognitive of where he is standing. So now there's, there's two players alongside Russell Westbrook, right? So, and, and then you can have a, you can add a third type of player, whether it's Dwight or Anthony Davis, and you can say, there's your, there's your rim roller there. And then from there, it's just like, all right, who can be, you know, who can you add out there who can play some defense? And, and I just think from there you know, the Lakers have a couple options left over. Obviously LeBron is the best of those options, but like, if you're just making a, a, a Russell Westbrook centric lineup, you know, there are pieces that you can, you can, you, you can focus on and attributes that you can focus on to make it work. And I just think with the way that the game went yesterday, it just felt like uh, <laughs> it reminded me when I was high and I'd say like, <laughs> It like, you know, what would be good on this burger is French onion dip. You know, like it just, it just reminded me of, of like back in college where you didn't have very much money and you, you couldn't afford, you know, a fully stocked refrigerator. So you just thought to yourself, like, I mean, I guess you can have pizza and eggs or like, like it, it's just, it's just, it's, it's just, just taking felt- a weird turn, Anthony. I want, I want to ho- go back to yeah. something you just said. So yeah. if we're building those Russ Westbrook um, bench units, right. Um, mm-hmm. You've got Russ at the point, you've got AD or Dwight as a rim roller, as I'm understanding, you do not want both of them. Um, is that clear from what you said or? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, then you've got, let's say Monk and Bazemore on the wings. You mm-hmm. you're describing a theoretical fourth player who is a defender. Does that player exist on the Lakers roster? No. Okay. <laughs> no. I, well, unfortunately, the only player who that would describe is LeBron James. Okay. Because then it's on a bench unit if it's minutes. LeBron James. Yeah. Maybe Ariza if he's back. But 
at this well, moment, think I'm thinking you kind of just have to put Avery Bradley in there and play small. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, technically that, that, you know, and then maybe just try to sneak Russ onto somebody who, you know, if he, if he wanders off, it doesn't hurt you too badly. Or maybe um, just have Russ guard like a power forward and hope that he can, you know, right. defend him in the post or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which I think he can do by the way, like yeah. he's strong enough to do and, and he works hard enough to be able to do that. It's just a matter of like, is there, is there a person that he could be guarding that I, I never worry about Russ on the ball. I, I worry about him off the ball where mm-hmm. he just like just squirrel and then just takes off. And, <laughs> and, and I just think for, for with, you know, if you're, so that's Russ. And then you, obviously LeBron's very easy to figure out. Anthony Davis is probably pretty easy to figure out. Um, and nowhere in that, in, in that conversation we just had, did we mention, Hey, you need another ball dominant, not floor spacing point guard. Like that is not, that is not ever something that, and again, it just, it just gets back to like, what are we, what were you watching in the preseason that made you think that is something that the Lakers should try? Yeah. I almost feel like this. The point of the first game was to, to present Russell Westbrook to the fan base. They just did a piss poor job of doing it. Yeah. Um, I do wonder if the Lakers roster would have made more sense had like, had DeAndre Jordan and Rajon Rondo just become, not become available. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the 13 that they had before then or 12, because that was even pre Avery Bradley. Um, those pieces, like you could envision a way where, oh, let's add a wing or two and it makes sense once you get to 14. Rondo becomes available and the Lakers literally can't help themselves but to sign him, right? Yeah. Like it's physically impossible for them to restrain themselves from wanting to get Rondo back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't want to get started on the DeAndre thing again, but it is overwhelmingly clear how much more sense Marcus Gasol makes on this roster than DeAndre Jordan. Or or just like yeah. not a big, you know? Oh, I think James a, a Marcus Gasol big would be fine. Uh, just shooting, you know? Yeah. Well, just if it was, if it was James Ennis, instead of DeAndre Jordan on this roster, it would make at least 25% more sense, right? Like it would just, because like you said, we just described a, a, a decent Russell Westbrook, non LeBron James lineup. And that player that we described was James Ennis. He, and he's still sitting there at home. Wes Matthews still sitting there at home. Yeah. Let's be clear. I don't have a problem with uh, a big like Dwight on this roster. If JaVale McGee were on this roster again, I would have zero problem with it. You want to run some Mm -hmm. screen and rolls with Russell Westbrook and JaVale McGee. Absolutely. Go for it. I just think DeAndre Jordan is a bad big at this point of his career. That's the problem. It's not that he's a big, the the prototype of what he is, I think makes perfect sense to want to pair with Russell Westbrook, to want to put as a big um, with Anthony Davis so that you can have some help side defense when Anthony has to go out on the perimeter. I get that. Um, I just think that, identifying that style and then saying, Oh, Deandre Jordan is that player was the problem. It's not so much what they wanted. It's who they got to fill that role. Do you need another big like that after you have Dwight though? Absolutely. Cause Dwight is literally only good for like 12 to 15 minutes, but how much of, I guess it's because it's a 15 man roster. You can fill in lots of guys. I don't think that's a problem having two bigs by all means. Um, I just think that the, the person they got to fill that role is just not good enough to be that guy. He slipped my mind because he was a two-way heading into the season. But Reeves, I think I would, I think I would throw Reeves, Reeves in there and and just see what he can do before I would go to Rondo filling in that role. Or even like your idea of throwing Bradley in there and just going super small, I could I could see that working, yeah. especially against most teams because all these teams. Like I saw some, I think Bleacher Report said Miami's like indefensible lineup was 
It was like Lowry, Oladipo, <laughs> Duncan, PJ, and Butler. Right. It was like, it was like this, six it was five like, tops. Or I think Duncan Robinson maybe like six six seven actually. Yeah. yeah. So so I'm looking at I'm looking at you know the way again. It's just a matter of like acknowledging the direction that the league has gone in, and mm-hmm. and adapting to it even while you want to take advantage of what you consider a market inefficiency, right? Like if you're yeah. saying that a potential market inefficiency is size, then okay. Because sure. you have, you have Anthony Davis and you have LeBron James, you have Dwight Howard and it worked a couple of seasons ago, you know, and, but, but the, it needs the to issue, be good size. Yeah it, it, yeah. it needs to be like productive size. It yeah. needs to be. And it was funny. People were like, well, Deandre Jordan was a plus two. And it's like, all of his minutes are alongside <laughs> like LeBron and Anthony Davis. All of his minutes are alongside two of the top five players in the NBA. Like if you're minus anything in that situation, then, you know, you're, you just, you're truly awful at basketball. It's me out there. It's what it would look like <laughs> if it was a minus, if somebody out stepped that onto the court and was a minus with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, it would be my five ten fat Mexican butt. It, that's what it would look like. <laughs> That's what it is. Like to to say that DeAndre Jordan isn't bad because he's slightly better than I would be out there is, you know, kind of the point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think um, what the Bradley minutes sort of showed, well, one, just an immediate level of comfort with Anthony Davis, right? Like they ran that double drag lob to Anthony Davis, right? That, um, I mean, the lob pass was not great, but Davis still made it work. Like mm-hmm. there is absolutely a comfort there. Uh, he can theoretically shoot and he does not need the ball in his hands. Like mm-hmm. that is literally everything we have ever wanted around LeBron James is a guy who does not need the ball, but can shoot. And he can kind of play mm-hmm. defense too, right? Like not a wing stopper. Sure. Put him on ones and twos. Great. Avery Bradley can yeah. do that. Um, he changed so- the game. Honestly, when he, when he got out there and, and immediately started pressing up and forced mm-hmm. Steph into the game a little earlier than I think golden state wanted to put him in there. Like, that was great to see from Avery Bradley. Yeah. I enjoyed yeah. that quite a bit. I don't know if it's necessarily sustainable. And, and I think some of that aggression kind of got the better of him as the game went on. And, sure. and the Warriors kind of realized like, oh, we could just back cut this guy. And, and Steph is going to take advantage of the aggression and all that stuff. But like, he's a role player. Like, yeah. All role players get taken advantage of. Like, that's how that works. Yeah, but I do think that if you're going to build these second unit lineups where Russ needs to be the ball handler, a guy like Avery Bradley, who doesn't need the ball in his hands, perfectly fine to slot in around him. Um, I think the problem was, is it put too many guys next to Russ who needed the ball, like Mello to create his own offense or Rondo, which we've, you know, belabored that point to death. Um, it's just clear that there are certain combinations that will not work on this later team, yeah. Even if you surround them with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, like there's just too many missteps. If you're going to have Monk and Mello on the court together, they're just going to run pick and roll at those two over and over again. It doesn't even matter who has the ball on the other team, but that is a hellacious defensive combination. Just so objectively bad. Um, you just can't have them on the court together. Uh, you can't have Rondo and Westbrook on the court together because there's, it turns one of them into a spot up shooter, which is literally the worst possible role description for Rondo or Russell Westbrook. Right. Um, and that's why I think, you know, you, you have to see a guy like Reeves who can shoot, um, mm-hmm. maybe you see more of Bradley because he can theoretically shoot or just knows where to place himself on the court to make himself valuable. Um, there is definitely a lack of off ball defense on this team. That is very frustrating because of how good the Lakers have been in that department the last couple of years. I mean, 
there's a guy named wearing number six for the Chicago Bulls who was a big part of that. But uh, there, there's just there are enough strengths I think that are still left even with the injuries that the Lakers have suffered that were just not optimized in game one. And like you said, yeah. um, a lot of that comes down to Frank Vogel who just didn't do a good enough job. I mean, he has mostly said that the problem was that he didn't get the ball to Russ enough. And like, yeah, I, I guess that not playing Russ next to Rondo and giving Rondo the ball is not giving Russ the ball enough. So yeah, that's part of it. But um, yeah. there's, there's lots of other things that you can clean up. And unfortunately uh, the first chance to do that comes against a Phoenix Suns team that is very good. Um, that has a lot of continuity and knows how to play with one another that just lost their first game of the regular season and definitely does not want to start the season. Oh, and two after just making the finals a year ago um, and presents another opportunity for the Lakers to start big, meaning Deandre Jordan is going to get eaten alive by Deandre Ayton uh, mm-hmm. for the first six minutes of this game. Um, remember like three years ago when it seemed like every time the Lakers were on a rough patch, Phoenix would come on the schedule and I was like, yes, get to play the Suns. <laughs> yeah, right. I miss the good old days. Ah, the good old days. I want to make a point about Vogel before we get out of here. And and I think it's one that, um, again, just kind of highlights this offseason being kind of odd. And Vogel getting a one-year extension means that he's not going to be confident making decisions that a head coach has to make, right? And with this being like the Lakers are kind of, they've become a symbol of the superstar empowerment era, which is good and bad. I think it's mostly good, but the the downside to it is that like you have players making decisions while they are also focused on being players, right? And I think for Frank Vogel, when he only gets a one-year extension, he might be more reluctant to not play Rondo, right? Because Anthony Davis wants Rondo out there and he might be reluctant to uh, force DeAndre Jordan out there into the starting lineup because again, Davis, it doesn't want to start at the four. And I'm not saying that is definitely the case, but I also can't definitely say it's not. And I think if the Lakers had given Vogel more shown more confidence in him by way of a longer contract, then I would trust him more to be able to do the kinds of things that made Frank Vogel good in the first place. And, and I think where we're at right now, far too often am I looking at some of the decisions that Frank Vogel is making and I'm wondering, is this actually something that he wants to do? Or is this just a decision that is it a CYA decision, right? Is it a decision that he can go back to the front office and say, look guys, like I'm just doing what my bosses say, you know? And, and, and I just think if there's ever fear of uh, being fired, as as a result of doing the right thing then the right thing will never get done <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that's not that's how the world works and and i just think for for this for where vogel is right now and the fact that he won a championship with this team and the fact that uh by all accounts he and lebron have a a, a good rapport like then fine reward the guy give the show the good rapport you know show the guy that all right you we trust that you're going to be here for the duration of at least the LeBron James era after having won a championship with the guy, everybody else got rewarded, you know, (laughs) why not this guy? And, and, and the way that that shows itself over the course of an NBA season is with stuff like this, where I find myself just kind of wondering, 
is this actually what Frank Vogel thinks is best for this team? Or is this what Frank Vogel thinks is best for his uh, chances of remaining head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers? Yeah, I'm just not there yet. Um, the Lakers have like two credible power forwards on their roster right now in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. It's hard to start both of them at four and five. You know, it just without yeah. a healthy Ariza, I just I don't see it like as a sustainable model. Yeah, they have to start a, another big just to get the role of those big minutes. He played 50% of his minutes at center. It's, it's totally fine with me. Um, I, I just think that's a, a roster construction or a roster availability issue, I would say at this point, more than, oh, everybody loves DeAndre Jordan. Anthony Davis is one to play five. I, I'm just not there yet. Um, the Rondo thing is interesting uh, because we had seemingly been prepped during the preseason for, hey, Rondo might not play all that much. Rondo mm-hmm. might just be a guy who sits on the bench like Jared Dudley and points things out and talks to the guys in a way that coaches can't. Um, but yeah, Anthony Davis adores Rajon Rondo. and. Um, I, I hate that I'm saying this. I, I feel like there is a, a universe where Rondo AD lineups are a potential second unit thing. I don't know where that lands Russell Westbrook. Um, clearly not next to Rajon Rondo. God, no. But uh, <laughs> Rondo six man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Frank, I, I don't know if he wants to play Rondo because he like the rest of the Lakers is so positively enamored with him and his swag. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I get that the extension thing makes it tenuous for Frank Vogel's tenure, right? Like it's not the position you want to be in. It's not the position you expect to be in having won an NBA championship, but everything that he's done so far just speaks to me as if uh, he's a little too comfortable with the 2019, 20 model, as opposed to just the listening actually to the stakeholders. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I want to give him a little more latitude in that respect. I, I guess I kind of wanted to get out in front of, that conversation because I don't okay, see yeah. some of these 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 decisions going anywhere yeah. and and look also like you're perfectly right to point out that Frank Vogel his entire career has favored bigger front courts right mm-hmm. Roy Hibbert David West and and then the, his his uh, time in Orlando I think he went oh man who was his front court I think Aaron Gordon was playing the three there so yeah, yeah, there was big front courts. Yeah. Right. Right. And so yeah. like, that's, that's kind of his thing. And maybe it's a logical blind spot in his, mm-hmm. in, in his approach. Which, to hey, the sport. we all have them. <laughs> right. Yeah. I have a lot of them. And, yeah. and, and I just think for, for, I just, when you, when you don't reward a coach, it's kind of like what we're saying with Deandre Ayton, right. Mm-hmm. Where he says to the front office, Hey, I sacrificed, I did the things that I need to do and helped our team be successful, I should get rewarded for doing that. And if you don't reward him for doing that, what that leads to is I'm He's not going to do those to small play things. that way again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do the things that historically get bigs paid. If you're not going to pay me for these things that helped us win those games. And I think for, for Frank Vogel, it's like, if you aren't going to reward a guy for winning a championship, then what the hell are you going to reward him for? Like if they win another championship this year, or is he going to get another year on the end of the final final season of his contract like and 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 it's just with it, the, the the power dynamic in the nba is already so skewed player mm-hmm. versus coach is is so skewed that it's already difficult difficult enough to tell players what they have to do as a head yeah. coach when they're making multiples of yours uh, of your income but when you add to that the fact that like that income of yours 
is only extended to a year beyond next season is just wild. It's just insane. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, just another uh, instance of the Lakers not putting their money where their math is. But mm-hmm. hey, um, I, I do take heart if we're going to just, you know, ride that 1920 comparison as much as possible. Uh, we were in a very similar situation where the Lakers had lost on opening night to the Clippers, where they had been ahead at points in that game and did not win um, despite personnel advantages, you know, against mm-hmm. a Paul George less Clipper team. And then by the time we got to game two, oh, lo and behold, AD start in the second half at center, you mm-hmm. know with a small lineup because that's what needed to be done. So yeah. uh, I have faith in Frank Vogel. I mean, it was a bad outing for him in the beginning. It was a bad outing for Russell Westbrook. It was a bad outing for pretty much everybody not named LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. It happens. Um, I presume it will look better against Phoenix, whether that results in a win or not. I hope so. Can't look much worse in the case of <laughs> Russell Westbrook. <laughs> we wrote that, or, you know, Cooper wrote that article and I just laughed at the tweet where it was like, Russell Westbrook's night wasn't all that bad. And it's like, what, like, what are the bullet points here? What are we looking at? Dell stayed for the entirety of the game. That's what (laughs) we're looking at. Yeah. No point scored on the other basket. (laughs) Hey, I have been coaching um, nine to 11 year olds uh, in basketball on the weekends. And that not scoring on the opposing basket is something to, to celebrate. Okay. (laughs) I hope Ben Simmons does it. I hope, I hope that's the next step in the story. All right, fine. I'm going to play, but I'm going to wear my jersey backwards. I'm going to score on the wrong. I'm going to shoot three-pointers on the wrong basket and make them. Take that, Daryl. <laughs> hey, at least at least we're not the Sixers. That's, uh, that's my takeaway for this week. Or the, or the Pelicans. At least we're not the Sixers. All yeah. right, that has been this week's episode of I Love Basketball. Make sure you're subscribed to the Silver Skin Roll podcast for shows about the Lakers and the NBA at large every day of the week. And we'll be back next week to talk about the Lakers hopefully having won some games. Take care. Yeah, 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 yeah.